hard keeping it quiet, thinking we have it tamed, controlled, hoping no one will find out. We pretend we are normal, if anyone is really normal. But sometimes we let it out to run wild, heedless to the damage it is creating. We cover it up, make excuses for it, but we still feed it. What is your beast? Is it lust? Anger? Pride? Resentment? Envy? Greed? Are you ready to kill it? Great to see you, Journey, this morning. Uh, it just feels like hunting season up here now, doesn't it, with all the camo and everything. You know, I know you bow hunters out there licking your chops right now, and um, I'll try to keep hidden behind this so I don't take any fire from you. We're, we're jumping into a brand new series. So excited that you're here for that. Uh, we're calling this series, Don't Feed the Wildlife, Killing the Beasts Within. But let's just jump out right away. We got, we're going to talk about, when we're talking about a beast, what are we talking about? What is the beast within? When we're talking about the beast throughout this series, we're going to be talking about that sinful, rebellious piece of us that in some way wants to live our life separate from God. We want to do things our way. We want to do things on our terms. And the truth is, is that every one of us has that in us in some way. It always has its way of surfacing somehow. This summer, uh, my family and I decided that we were going to start doing some camping. We thought we want to enjoy uh, a lot of the area around here in Montana. So we, at the beginning of the summer, we bought a, a little camper and got really excited about the opportunities to go camping. But if you do camping around Bozeman, you know that there are a lot of other people that really like to do a lot of camping around Bozeman as well. And there, there's lots of campgrounds, but sometimes it can be difficult to get a spot. You can go online and you can reserve things, but oftentimes they're reserved way out, months in advance. But there's a system that you can use that you can actually just show up and there's certain spots that are just available first come, first serve. So uh, we had this idea that we were going to go camping this weekend, but we didn't have a reserved spot. So in my mind, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outsmart everybody. I'm going to get up super early in the morning. I kind of do that anyway. I'm going to get there before anyone else would get there, and I'm going to find one of those open spots. So I drive up to the place and find a, a camping spot that I just think, this is perfect. And uh, ironically, this this family that was there, they were up super early. They told me that they were leaving right then. And so I could sign up and take that spot for the weekend. So I go get my envelope. I write my check, do everything I'm supposed to do, put my little top of the envelope on the post in front of my spot. And I'm just thinking, this is going to be awesome. going to be able to come back tomorrow with my family and have a great weekend. Because this was, this was Thursday morning. It's really early. I've got a full day of work on Thursday. And ironically, that evening, Mark Archia and Devin were getting married, our student ministry, ministries director. And so it was just, it was going to be a long day. Well, as I'm leaving, I'm looking at the bulletin board there and just kind of eyeing the rules, making sure that I know everything that I'm supposed to do. 
Well, there's this rule that says you have to occupy your spot the first night, even if you paid for it. And I talked to some people that said, nah, you don't really have to do that. But I'm kind of a rule follower. So I thought, you know, if they tell me that I'm supposed to do this, I probably should do it. So I get this plan in my mind. I'm going to load up all my camping stuff into my car, my tent and things. And then I'm going to spend the night there, just go up there way late after the wedding so I can occupy my spot. And then I'll go back and get my family the next day. Long day, great wedding. It's after 10 o'clock, about 10.30. I'm pulling into my beautiful spot. There is a huge travel trailer in my spot. So now I'm just thinking, what, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna go wake them up and talk with them? Or I'm gonna drive all the way back home. I'm just exhausted. Uh, so I decide I'm gonna just knock on the door and see if I can have a conversation. Let them know that this is my spot. This is my spot right here. So I knock on the door, he comes out, and I'm trying to explain to him what happened, and he's like, there was nothing on the post when I got here. I'm like, you know, I I did everything, I filled out my check, and he's like, I'm sorry, there was nothing on the post. And so I'm trying to explain to him everything that I had done, and I can just feel inside of me this anger starting to well up in me. And I'm just thinking, how in the world am I going to handle this? And the more dismissive it seemed like he was toward me and my problems, it just didn't seem like he cared about me. I could just feel the anger rising in me. And finally, it got to the place where I was so frustrated, I just completely lost it. And in so many words, I just said, this is not right. And I stomped away. And just to let him know how angry I was, when I got in the car, I slammed the door. Like, I'll show him. That was one of the longest drives back down the Gallatin Valley that I've ever experienced. Because I just sat there thinking, What in the world did I just do there? What was it that just surfaced in me, this kind of anger? And then I I, honestly, I barely slept that night because I just kept thinking about what a jerk I was to this guy. I mean, he's just out there trying to have a good time with his family. Just because my goals get blocked doesn't mean that I have any right to be a jerk to him. And so I laid there throughout the night just thinking, am I ever going to get the opportunity to tell this guy, I'm sorry, I don't even know his name. In case you're wondering, I did have the opportunity to go up the next morning, talk to the camp host. For the record, it was my spot. Legally, I had paid for it. The camp host understood this guy moved to a different place, and the camp host told me where he was. So I had the opportunity to go and apologize to him for what I had done. But here's the deal. This is what just was so hard for me, was just thinking, what is it that is going on inside of me that would cause me to do that. Now, I could try to give myself a pass and just say, you know, the vast majority of my life, I don't behave that way. So this is just completely out of character for me. But the more I realized and thought about it, I just thought, you know, this was just a circumstance in life. It wasn't necessarily out of character, but this was a circumstance in life where something pressed in a way that it actually revealed my character. This is what's going on underneath in me. We all have things like that that are going on underneath in us. These beasts in us, this propensity toward us to want to live life our way, do things the way we want to, not necessarily the way that God would want us to. Every one of us is there. And so I've been preparing for this series and even thinking about this message in particular The thing that I've been praying for is that we as a group of people, we as a Journey Church family, we would just drop the charade. We would just drop the masks 
And we would just get really, really honest. No more hiding. No more hiding about the things that are going on in front of us and going on inside of us. Because this is what I want you to understand about this church that we call Journey. This is not a group of people that are here because we've got everything figured out and that our lives are beautiful on the inside and out. But what is true of this group of people is that we understand that there are things in us that need to change, places where we need to grow. And what we believe all the way to the bottom of our toes is we believe that God is our only hope in seeing that kind of transformation happen in the deep places in us. And you know what else we believe? We don't think that this is a journey, no pun intended, this is not a journey that we should take alone. We need each other in that. We've got to have each other. And I, I wish we could do this. I wish that our church was as a, at a size where we could actually do this. What I would want to do to start off this message was just have everybody line up and every one of us, one at a time, come up here and stand and say, this is the biggest beast in my life right now. Just gut level honest in front of everybody. Because this is what I believe would be true. If we did that, we would realize we're not alone. We're not alone in these things that we're fighting inside of our life. And the thing that I also know that we would, we would understand is that we've got each other. We can be there for each other. Because if we walked up here and we did that, I know the things that we would hear. We would hear people that would just say, I wrestle with anger. I wrestle with that beast. Some people would say it's lust. Some people would say it's promiscuity. Some people might say it's just worry and anxiety. This thing has just taken me out. Some people would say it's gossip. Some people might say it's dishonesty. I'm not straight up with people. Some people would say I've got a harsh tongue when I talk to people, sometimes even especially the people around me that I love. I have no doubt that if we were gut level honest and everybody did that, there'd be a lot of talk about addictions here. Many of us wrestle with addictions. Addictions to drugs, alcohol, pornography, shopping, you name it. The beasts are out there. There would be eating disorders, there'd be pride. There'd be a critical and judgmental spirit toward other people that are struggling with beasts. Friends, I don't know what your issue is, but God does. I don't know, but he does, and he wants to help you in this. Because here's what's true. As you start to understand who God is and what he's like, and you start to look at the scriptures, you start to see this picture of righteousness and this godliness that God is calling us to, asking us to live that kind of life that Jesus lived. And if we're really honest with each other and we start to look at that picture, it just seems oh so far sometimes, doesn't it? It just seems like that gap is insurmountable, almost, almost overwhelming to think about. Is there any possibility to start to bridge that gap and become the kind of person that God would want me to be? But when we see that gap and we start to wrestle with it, you know what it takes us to? It takes us to the place where we realize, I need help. I need real help. I need supernatural help. And if we don't get to that place where we know that we need God's help, we'll respond in different ways to this gap. Some of us just look at that and we just see this standard of righteousness that God lays out for us. And we just say, it's too hard. It's too hard. I can't do that. I'm not even close. And we just completely give up. Nobody can live like that. 
And we just start to isolate ourselves because we think if that's the standard, if people actually really knew, really, really knew the things that were actually going on in my life, there's no way that they would love me. There's no way that they would move toward me. And sometimes that fear in us causes us to have another response because we're fearful of what others might think. We have another response and that's that I'm just gonna cover up. I'm just gonna hide. I'm not gonna try to figure out how to kill the beast, but I'm gonna make darn sure I keep that thing hidden so that nobody around me knows anything about it. We don't kill it. We just kind of work around the edges of it, keeping up appearances. And if you've ever done that, I know I have, that is the most exhausting and frustrating place to live your life. Just trying to keep everything looking good on the outside when you know that you're caving in on the inside. But friends, here's, here's my deepest hope for all of us, is that we would just get to that place where we would realize this desperate need that we have before God. And then we'd come to a place where we realize that God actually wants to help us in this. God has the power to help us change. God has the right and the authority to invite us to change. But also, I want us to know that God has the desire and the compassion to help us. When you leave these doors today and you're walking out to your car, I hope that there's at least one phrase that's going on over, 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 over in your mind. And it's this, God is for me. God is for me in this. God is not standing far off. God is for me in this. He wants to help. And here's what we're gonna find, friends. We're gonna find as we start to get honest with God and we start to move toward him and invite him and the power of his spirit to begin to change us, we're gonna realize how much that we're not alone. This gap that we feel, everybody feels that gap. Everybody. So much everybody that there's a chapter in the Bible, a good chunk of it that I wanna read to you because there's one of my heroes of the Bible, the Apostle Paul. He talks about this gap in his life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, felt this gap as well. God had done an amazing thing in Paul's life. This guy that had been killing Christians, the power of God reached down, grabbed him out of that, brought him into a covenant relationship with God, and he was completely transformed. God used him, used this man to do some amazing things. This little Jewish sect called Christianity, God used him to take this to the world. The primary vessel that God used to be a conduit of the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole Gentile world, the Apostle Paul. Two-thirds of the New Testament books that are right here, written by the Apostle Paul. And even, even not, not just from our perspective, but even from a secular perspective, if you just went out on the internet, and I did this, I Googled the most influential people that ever lived. Paul makes nearly everybody's list. Most of, most of the time in the top 10. This guy was an influencer. But you know what? He felt the gap. He felt the gap between this glorious thing that God was calling him to and where he was at oftentimes day in and day out. So I want us to read a chunk from Romans chapter seven. And let's just listen a little bit to Paul's struggle with that gap. And here's, here's what I wanna say is I'm gonna read a, a lot here, 
And I wish that I had the time to unpack all of it, but I want you to just catch the flavor. Can you just catch a sense of the things that are going on in Paul's life, this struggling between this reality that he knows something amazing has happened to me. I am a new creation in Christ, completely different from who I was, yet there's this thing in me. Sometimes the Bible calls it his flesh, our sinful nature. We're calling it the beast, but there's this thing that we've got to deal with. And this is how the apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter seven, starting in verse 14. This is God's word. He starts out, he says, so the trouble is not with the law. And when I say the law, I'm talking about that picture, these righteous requirements of the law, this picture of what it means to be right before a holy God. Paul says, the trouble's not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Paul's experiencing that gap. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, it shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing good. It is sin living in me that does it. I want to highlight that last thing that Paul just said. You've got to understand that Paul sees two things going on in him. He says, it's not me who does it. He sees there's another, I am that new creation in Christ. But at the same time, I see this other thing that's warring in me against the idea of this new creation in Christ. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Again, I want to highlight, Paul sees two things at work in his life. This new creation that he knows he needs to live out of, but there's this other thing in his life. Verse 21 says, I have discovered this principle of life That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this that is dominated by sin and death? And here's the punchline. Paul says, thank God. Thank you, God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. This is how I think Paul would want to communicate it to us. He would say, I know that I am not the beast. I'm not the beast. I'm a new creation in Christ. I am a child of God. But yet there's this other thing. There's something in me that I need to deal with. Now when I read that chunk of scripture, I just think that is just one of the most gut level, honest things that you could read. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I, I don't understand or relate to everything in the Bible, but man, I relate to that. The way Paul talked about that thing, like I really want this in my life. 
but I see this other thing at work. If Paul used hashtags, it'd be a hashtag the struggle is real. It really is a real struggle, this thing that is going on inside of us. But if Paul can be honest, I mean, I mean, did you realize this? This was Paul being so honest. Everyone forever is gonna read about this. Paul is just gut level honest. Friends, if he can be that honest with the whole world, can we be honest as well? Can we just be, first of all, just be honest with God about the things that are going on? Can we, can we, and we, can we start to be honest with each other? You know, again, let, let, let's just drop the charades. Let's just let down the mask. Can we just talk about things as they really are? Let's be honest. That's where we need to start. But next, I think that there's a question that we've got to have answered if we're gonna move ahead in this, if we're actually gonna see progress in overcoming this beast within us. And the question is just simply this, is God for me? Is God really for me in this? Now, I kind of tipped my hand a little bit at the beginning, I already told you, I want you leaving here believing with everything in you that God is for you in this. But I wanna make the case for that first. Because if we don't get this figured out, if we don't have a clear understanding of how it is that God is looking at us as we struggle with these things, it's gonna greatly affect how we relate to him and the kinds of things that we do. Like if we really honestly believe that God right now, as he looks at us, wrestling with the things in our life, is he angry at us? Is he shaking his fist at us? Is that how God sees us right now? Or is he just, is he frustrated? You know, is he just, he's got his arms crossed, tapping his foot. Doggone, when do they figure it out? So tired of this. Is, is that his posture toward us? Is, is he just distant? You know, like, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with, deal with it on your own. You're on your own. Is that God's posture? Is he just indifferent? Like, I don't really care. Do what you want. The way that we see God is gonna affect how we relate to him. And you can see that in your own life. Just think about that in human terms, in human relationships. If there's someone out there that you know that is really angry with you, really frustrated with you, how are you gonna respond to them? Yeah, I, I know what I would do. I, I would try to avoid them. I, I don't wanna be close to them. I got enough problems as it is that I don't need someone just getting in my face being mad at me. If that's how we see God, it's gonna affect our ability and our willingness to be able to move toward him the way that he would want us to move toward him. But here's the problem is there's this tension that is created in scripture. Because on the one hand, we hear over and over that God loves us. And that is absolutely true. But on the other hand, we hear over and over again as well that God hates sin. God hates disobedience. It creates this tension, like which one of those is more true than the other? How does God view me? Does he just love me with no real concern for the issues in my life? Is he just kind of a little bit of a wink and a nod toward the sin and disobedience in my life? That can't be because what about his holiness? What about his holiness and his righteousness? But on the other hand, does God, is he only gonna love me if I obey and do everything right? Am I on performance with him? If I don't do everything correctly, is he out? 
That can't be because we read the scriptures over and over. What about his faithfulness? On one side, we've got God's holiness. On the other side, we've got his faithfulness. And it creates this tension in scripture. And you can take one side or the other. And some people go to one side and they'll just say, you know, God's commands, those things are good and all, but really at the end of the day, he just completely loves everybody. And you move yourself toward a relativism. But on the other hand, you can go to another extreme where you say, if you are not good and if you do not obey, God won't love you. He will withdraw his love from you. And you move toward a place of moralism or legalism. Which of those is true? Because you just see over and over in scripture that God seems to say that both of those things can be true. Different. God says, I will not bless a disobedient people. But yet on the same time, he said, I am faithful. I will love, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What is true? How are we to understand how God resolves this tension? And I wanna help us understand how God resolves this tension by understanding the reality that God is a covenant God. He makes a covenant with his people, a relationship with them based on covenant. And I know when I even use that word covenant, it's a little bit of an archaic word. It's not a word that we use a ton in our culture. And, but probably the place where we most think about the idea of covenant, especially as it relates, relates to our biblical background, with this idea of a marriage covenant. Because sometimes even in our culture, people start to think about marriage as more of a contract. If you do what you say you're gonna do, if you do your vows, then I will do my vows. That's the idea of a contract. But a covenant has that aspect to it, but it's actually much more than that. In a marriage covenant, both people say, I will be faithful to my marriage vows no matter what. I will stay true to my very marriage vows no matter what. And both parties need to say that. Whether my needs and my expectations are met in the way that I think that they should be met, I give all of myself to you. I completely sacrifice myself for you. Think about how vulnerable that makes you as you think about making that kind of a commitment to a spouse. Just completely exposed. Because in the back of your mind, you've got to be asking the question, will they really do it? Will they really hold up to their side of the bargain? How do you know? And that's this idea of covenant that God wants us to wrap our mind around. I want to unpack as quickly as I can one of the first covenants that God made with someone called Abraham. And there was blessings that God wanted to give Abraham. Blessing, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make heirs from you. I'm going to give you land. And I'm going to bless people that bless you. And I'm going to curse people that curse you. There was this promise that God was making to Abraham. But Abraham had in the back of his mind, like, God, how do I know? How do I know that you're going to stay faithful to your end of the covenant? And so God initiates with Abraham what the Bible would call a blood covenant. And that, that's completely foreign to us, but it would have been very normal for them. And this is when two parties wanted to enter into a covenant. What they would do is they would sacrifice animals. They would take animals, rip them in two, and then they would make a path with these torn apart animals. They would sacrifice like a heifer, half of it over here, half of it over here. 
They would sacrifice a ram, half of it over here, half of it over here. And they would make this path of bloody animals. And you just think, that just sounds gross. Why in the world would anybody do that? But this is what they did in that culture. When you were making a covenant between two parties, and especially between a great Lord and a servant, this is how they would do it. And the reason that they sacrificed animals and they walked between those pieces of torn apart animals is they were actually acting out the curse of the covenant. There was the blessing side of the covenant. This is what you get if you hold to your side of it. But there was a curse side of the covenant. If I fail to keep my part of the covenant, may I be torn to pieces the way that these animals were torn to pieces. Kind of an all-in covenant, wouldn't you say? But that's the seriousness with which they took these covenants. And so God is entering into this kind of covenant with Abraham. And Abraham, as he's torn the animals apart, he's done exactly what God has asked him to do. And Abraham is waiting to walk this path between these two pieces of torn animals. Because Tim Keller points out that when it was between a great Lord and a servant, the great Lord didn't walk through the pieces, just the servant did. And that was the case with Abraham and God. So Abraham is waiting to walk through this path to swear his loyalty to Yahweh. In verse 12, in chapter 15 of Genesis, it says this, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then in the next several verses, God lays out some of the promises and the terms of the covenant. But then God does something that is completely unexpected. And if you've read, I've read Genesis 15 so many times and I've always just read over this kind of going, oh, huh, that's interesting. It's amazing what happens here. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. People from this culture that are reading this would be saying, that can't be, that can't happen. The servant needs to walk through the pieces. He needs to swear his loyalty to the great Lord. What has God done here? Because that smoking fire pot, that fire represents the presence of God. God is the one who walks through the pieces. Friends, this is what the Bible is saying. God is making the promise for both of them. God is making the promise for both of them, saying, I will take the curse of the covenant upon myself. If I fail or Abraham, even if you fail, God is taking the curse upon himself. And friends, as we start to think about the Bible as a whole, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of foreshadowing from the Old Testament because there is a fulfillment of God's promise here to Abraham that we see on Calvary. God himself on Calvary takes the curse of the covenant upon himself. God himself, Jesus, came to this earth and what happened? He was torn to pieces. Not because he didn't keep the covenant, but because we didn't keep the covenant. His head bloodied and torn with thorns. His back bloodied and ripped apart till his organs were showing. 
taking the curse of the covenant, a spear was run through his side, ripped apart because God was willing to say, I will take the curse of the covenant for you. Friends, that's got to sink into the deep places in us. It's a simple picture of the gospel message, but it's gotta go to the deep places. That's what God would do to be able to make a covenant with you, to be able to have a covenant relationship with you. Paul helps us understand this by making what I've just described explicit in Galatians chapter three, to understanding the connection between what Christ did and this covenant with Abraham. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing giving to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit Christ took the curse and gave us the blessing. Is there any greater way that the God of the universe could shout to every one of us, I am for you. I am for you in this life. I want to help you. Why would we start here in this message series? Why is this so important that we get this? Because we have to understand who we are before him, how God sees us. We've got to understand how much he loves us, how much we matter to him. And his willingness to take the curse for us tells us that God sees me and he loves me and he cares for me. And you know what else it does for us? We don't have to hide. We don't have to hide anymore. God knows everything and he's already taking the curse of the covenant for us. We are accepted We are his children. We belong to him. We don't have to try to earn our way to God. We don't have to try to pretend that things are better than you. We don't have to earn our way to God. He's already done everything for us. He took the curse of the covenant. Now, does this mean that we just do whatever we want? We don't resist sin? Not at all. We resist sin like crazy, but not because we think that we can earn anything before God, but we're just so grateful. It all comes out of gratitude that God, you were willing to come to this earth to take the curse of the covenant for me. And when we fail, friends, we don't have to hate ourselves. We don't have to hate ourselves when we fail to live up to this picture that God has given us of his righteousness and his holiness. You know why we don't have to hate ourselves is because God doesn't hate us. I wanna just read one verse as we kind of wrap up here from Romans chapter eight, verse one. After that section that I read of Paul, here's was Paul, here was Paul's answer to all those things that he was wrestling with. This is the punchline. Verse one, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. God has set us free there. We don't have to condemn ourselves. God doesn't condemn us. There's no need for us to condemn ourselves. His perfect life, his perfect life earned for us the blessing of the covenant. In his death, 
in our place took upon himself the curse of the covenant. Could there be better news than that? I don't think so. I really don't think so. The more I think about it, the more I reflect on the magnitude of just the simple gospel, the simple grace of God and what he's willing to do to extend his kindness to us. Sometimes I get to that place where I just keep saying to myself, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. And when I get to that place, I think, you know, I might be almost there. I might be almost there of understanding it because it is too good to be true, but God has done it. I want to give you an opportunity to just put your things aside. And we do this often around here, but I just want to give you a chance to hear from God right now. We believe that God is here. His presence is here. We believe that he speaks. And I want to give you an opportunity to just ask the Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? What is it that you would want my heart to leave here with? And God, is there anything that you want me to do in response to that? And also, could you do one thing? Could you just tell him thank you? Tell him, thank you for taking the curse of the covenant for you. continue in a posture of prayer just imagine that there might be some that are here today as we talk about this kind of covenant relationship that God extends to us through Christ might be in that place where you're saying I I just don't think I'm there right now I don't think I've ever entered into that kind of a relationship with him if you just sense that God is nudging you and inviting you into that we want to give you an opportunity to do that today You can just simply pray along in your heart with me, praying these things to God. God, I want to respond to your grace. And God, I want to begin a covenant relationship with you today. I realize that it's only by you and by your grace that I can come into that relationship. I can't earn anything before you but I wanna put my faith and my trust, not in what I've done, God, but what you've already done for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that, that you died on the cross in my place to pay the penalty, to pay the death penalty that I deserved. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to take the curse of the covenant upon yourself so that I could be free. I turn from my life of sin today and I respond to you in faith. I open the door of my life today and I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me an eternity with you. I give you control of my life today and I make you the king over every part of my life today. I belong to you, God, and I ask you to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Father, we're so grateful.
God, thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you're involved. You care. You want us to become like you. God, continue to help us do that. And I just pray that when we forget, when we forget who we are as your children, God, would you remind us? It's such a blessed, beautiful truth. Continue to remind us, God. We love you and we just want to say thank you, God, that you are such a good, good father to us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.